Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the What Culture Gaming Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Telford, joined by Josh Brown. Hello, Scott Telford. And only Josh Brown, because Mr. James Dow sadly couldn't make it in today, but it's all right. We've got plenty of things to talk about. You can tell the people the truth, Scott. You can tell them where James Dow is. <laughs> you can tell them that he's buried in my backyard after the horrific slander that he was throwing my way <laughs> in regards to House of the Dead I was going to say my PS3. head could not remember what you were referring to, but I was, I was going to make some sort of joke of don't worry, he's not the only unanimated being because you've been playing with House of the Dead. I'm so sorry, that would have been enough. such a better intro. I don't know if it would have been. I'll tell you what's <laughs> apparently not very good is House of the Dead. Well, I don't know why, why are you on that? You, uh, saw, you messaged me the other night going, I'm on the House of the Dead, and I was like, why aren't you on Ori? I had a bit of madness, that's why, yeah. Scott. It was Saturday night. After saying on one of the podcasts last week that I was going to take a bit of a bit of a break from gaming mm. after getting a little bit burnt out, rinsing a bunch of titles <laughs> earlier in the month, yes. I saw House of the Dead on sale for fifteen crisp pounds, <laughs> and I saw that they that were, they, were com- white, no. they were compatible with the PlayStation Move controllers, and I thought uh. I've got some PlayStation Move controllers in the cabinet over <laughs> there. Um, so I said I to my girlfriend, them in the "Cabinet as well." Yeah, oh, yeah. they do. Oh, yeah, yeah they're yeah. on display. So I said to my girlfriend, "Would you play this with me?" And she said, "I mean, if it stops you from you know playing the Elder Scrolls Oblivion, I guess I will." However, it oh. wasn't so simple as that, my friend. This is now my therapy session because I had to bust out the old PlayStation Four because the PlayStation camera, the one I have, uh-huh. isn't. Com- Compatible with the PS5 without a oh adapter God, cable. Yeah. So I had to get out this dusty-ass PS4, hook it up to the telly, <laughs> find the camera, charge the move controllers at like 11 o'clock on a Saturday night to finally sit down and play this game, which lasts at best 45 minutes. <laughs> and I'll tell you now, it was kind of worth it. It was an okay time. The move controllers kind of tracked. Yeah. It was, it was a lapse, you know, like in Better Call Saul, you know, when Chuck's, uh, Jimmy McGill's brother Chuck yes. kind of like has his um, episodes where he's, he thinks he's, you know, allergic to electric. Yes. I kind of had one of those. I, it was like a manic breakdown, yeah. but it was revolving around House I of can the see dead. you running around your apartment in sort of like a space blanket, yeah. just running from one side of the room to the other, gathering up all the, the peripherals that you need. It was a little bit like that. Yeah. Whilst yeah. your girlfriend and sort of just watches and just goes, are you going to sit down? Are you gonna, what are you going to do? would love to play it with you, though, that said. I now I have it. it forever. So uh, you can come around, I'll give you a remove controller, you can get really annoyed when it doesn't work, as it should, <laughs> and then play House of the Dead with me, man. Get I the do high like score. How, I, that's the thing. I love. I like how squidgy the PlayStation controllers are, PlayStation Move controllers are, because um, I had to gather up a couple. Speaking of sprinting around, I had to run across our fair Newcastle City in the northeast of England to get a second controller. There was only other PlayStation Move controller in stock in the whole city. Is that true? Back, yeah, back when the PlayStation VR, uh, when I decided to get a PlayStation VR because No Man's Sky was going to have a, a VR update. And what am I not going to spend my day off playing the No Man's Sky VR? Of course not. 100%. What a humbling experience as well, by the way, <laughs> uh, getting the PlayStation Move controllers at all. Mm. Because I remember similarly getting them because I was getting a PSVR system. And literally a week prior, those things were eight quid each yes. in CEX. Yes. And as soon as Sony repurposed them, 
for the PSVR, mm-hmm. supply and demand meant they were now £80. And I could not believe that I had to pay 80 quid for those things I, when I could have got them for now. Yeah, that was my thing. I got into a very stupid mood, which I don't know if any other people who play video games get into a mood where you're like, I'm just going to keep throwing money at it until the problem is done. Some costs, I don't mean yeah. A, yeah, I don't mean in like a microtransaction context. I just mean I want this thing to work. So it's like, okay, I need this cable. Fine, I'll get that. Like, okay, I need this extra TV. I don't know, whatever I need to get things to work. And in, the, in that case, it was like, okay, I need two separate PlayStation Move controllers. And like you said, I don't think I paid 80 for the second one. I think it was like 40 or 50, but I was still like, oh my God, <laughs> this is a stupid amount of money, but I've already spent most of my day here. So like, I might as well do this. <laughs> Dude, oh. that, was, that was me with like a student loan, getting a <laughs> PSVR system, which was fine. You know, I split that with my parents, in mm. fact, and then realizing, oh, hang on, I need the Move controllers. Oh, hang on, I need a camera? No one told me about I this. I didn't even think that when you said you were playing this that you would have had to plug the PlayStation Fall back in. Well, that's, this, that's a horrible honestly, reality. Honestly, when I, when, I, when, I, when I bought it, yeah. I didn't think that either, Scott. No. And then afterwards, I thought <laughs> I regret everything. Because you do need you need a camera hooked up to it for it to sync up with the PlayStation Move controllers. That's yes, why you need Yes, that it, yeah. was why. I could have used the uh, kind of um, motion tracking on the DualSense. Yes. That would have worked, I assume, or I even the DualShock 4. But I was like, come on, man. If I'm going to gimmick this, I'm gimmicking it all the way. <laughs> I'm going to have to go whole ass with it. Go always go whole, uh, whole ass. I would like if you could hold a controller sideways like a gun, and yes. like you do in Infamous Second Son, which Ryan wasn't supposed to. Um, but there's a whole mechanic in that game where you're spraying graffiti everywhere with a controller on its side, and you shake it up, and you use the shoulder trigger as an actual gun trigger. Yeah, and it almost becomes a gun. And I like, just let me do that, and let me shoot the zombies with that. Gun sounds. That should gun be, sounds. Uh, that should be doable. You can probably you with, think so. Well, enough like spit shine and enough elbow grease and enough ingenuity. Maybe you can like. You know, Jimmy that to work. I, uh, Jimmy McGill, I would have bought House of the Dead immediately if I could have just turned the controller on its side and shot some zombies. If I have to hook up a PlayStation 4, yes. I'd rather eat my own toes. Even for, oh, I mean, I wouldn't recommend eating your own just toes. Just a few toes. I don't think there's much protein on those things. It's <laughs> mostly bone and gristle. Topeen. That said, uh, I would recommend it if you want just some light gun action. You know, <laughs> light gun games can be very fun uh, and very kind of like mind-numbing in a good, oh, yeah, good yeah. way. In this, if you want to, re- like, because, you know, it's, it's half an hour to complete the campaign, which is nothing, but it's intended to be replayed yes. with different weapons and on time trials and the hard mode that they've got in. So if you just kind of wanted to do that, I, I mean, I'd I, say £15, not bad. I'm a man who grew up on a G-Con 45 on the PlayStation 1 with Time Crisis and Point Blank and one other uh, game that I can't think of right now. But yeah, I have a vested interest in this stuff and I I always lament the fact that those those days went away and I can't get them back unless I buy a PlayStation 2. But even then, most modern day TVs don't let you play like on games on them anyway. No. Um, I guess that was your way of getting around it was the, the lens thing, the camera thing or whatever. Um, I do actually have some notes for this podcast. We're six minutes in and because we thought... <laughs> we'd start with um we want to springboard a little bit off the ea tweet that sent ructions through the the universe i was going to say um where there's a whole and then but then we'll get to some new stuff because i've got about five cool little news stories for us um to dive into um but the ea tweet that did the rounds that a lot of people just went oh ea what are you doing um was piggybacking off the whole twitter trend of let's just you know you put the phrase out there a 10 but insert x thing that you don't like about them and ea tweeted there a 10 but they only like playing single player games. And everyone went, oh god EA, we've been through this enough times. Yeah. And it wasn't until a few days later and I forget who, uh, it might have been Glenn Park from the Washington Post, um, he tweeted something saying, oh I've just realised what they meant. They meant um, there's no one to play with them. Like, And they only play single player as in they won't also join me to right. play the other stuff. And it's it wasn't meant, it was meant to be like a self-diss. Right. It wasn't me like, okay. it wasn't meant to be that single player games weren't worth anything. It was just meant to be that like, they're so unattainable and they're brilliant and single player games are phenomenal. That's where they'll be. I never got that until right now. No, I know. And it, I, it took me a few reads to sort of get it. Mm. And even then you've got to give them a lot of benefit of the doubt. But point being that EA, you know, as one of the many third party developers, publishers, whatever, that just cannot catch a break in the gaming industry. But what do you think of this whole thing in regards to the state of single player games? Well, well, first off, I'm really gutted that we didn't do a news on this because it would have been a very fun one. Uh, the real reason. Last, last Friday, yeah. yeah. The real <laughs> truth behind this tweet. <laughs> It only hey, three people have thought about. Hey, I would have been, I would have been fascinated <laughs> to, to watch or be in that. However, uh, just going for the tweet 
yes. in, in in isolation and mm-hmm. away from that exp- that great explanation that you've just gave. Thank you. Right there, uh, <laughs> I said to you off camera that I actually thought it was a genius bit of marketing. Well, you we, know? we kind of agreed. It got everyone talking. It was Absolutely. very self-aware. Like, oh, EA, but you know they're a bit multiplayer. But no, one hundred percent. Like I had never seen the EA official Twitter account in my life, and then I saw it <laughs> retweeted a hundred times that day. So True. yes, it was a hundred times people dunking on it. But is <laughs> in, in terms of you know marketing. All, all press is good press goes the adage and this was definitely a lot of press that it this got. was just a fundamental misunderstanding of a current trend yes. um, but yeah the thing I was going to springboard off this for and do a very quick little discussion on is do you think the value of single player games this is me asking you now not okay. rephrasing Mr. EA um, but yeah do you think that the, the value of single player games is the same as it is now as it has been in previous generations because I think it is drastically minimised I think that the amount of games uh, or publishers or studios or whatever you want to say putting the time and effort into crafting a good story and crafting a new world is so second to a gameplay mechanic that can be repeated every 20 minutes to pull a lever on a loot box and give you that over and over and over again. Um, I'm going to have to split your question there. Please because do. Because if we're talking purely single-player games, mm. not story-driven games or, you know, story-focused games, I would disagree because okay. I think if you look at some of the biggest successes of the past few years, yes, there's been a lot of multiplayer games in mm. there, but there have also been an incredible amount of single player games you know just look at this year with Elden Ring and I know that has multiplayer elements but yeah. I'm talking you know majority single player open world game you know that sold 12 million copies you know we've yeah. had Horizon Forbidden West out this year we had The Last of Us Part 2 a few years before Red Dead Redemption 2 and uh, The oh, Witcher yeah, like 3 only three or four years back though well those are just the biggest off the top yeah. of my head I'm talking you know games that resulted in world shattering sales in, in <laughs> all of those games definitely resulted in world shattering games and i would say you know yes there have been a lot of multiplayer games alongside those titles but i think that single player games even by judging from the reaction to this tweet are still an incredible part of the gaming industry mm. and people still have the hunger for them that they used to have i do want to believe so and i do I, like that's the thing is that it's nothing beats it i don't want to quote Tyrion from game of thrones <laughs> one of the worst episodes of all time but i do very much think that one of the best things out there is a good story right and it's like i like that was kind of to give D D on the game of thrones context the most the biggest benefit of the doubt i think that's what they were going for um and that you know stories can stand the test of time and i just find that in the modern gaming industry and especially right now at this time of the year, um, stories are minimized. It's more about multiplayer stuff. It's more about platforms for content, etc. And it's not to say that I'm not adoring the likes of Neon White. And that game has a really, really fun world um, with a couple of story beats in it. There's not much in terms of like plot twists or, you know, really great character writing or whatever. Um, but I just kind of hope, I wish that was the case across the board. Like in terms of, you know, you, when you cite stuff like the big open world single player games, most of them are now Sony on the Sony side. Yeah. Um, Xbox haven't really got a, a dedicated single player oh my god game like Halo Infinite is maybe the closest but it's more of a multiplayer thing Nintendo haven't really had any sort of huge first party grabber games in a while um, Luigi's Mansion 3 might be one of the last ones that I can think of so I'm like industry wide like yeah we can point to some third party stuff but I feel like overall story isn't really valued as much as gameplay mechanics and gameplay should be king but I'd like some story I'd like Just, a reason to care I don't know man like you mentioned Microsoft there and mm. yes while over the past few years it's you know single player games haven't been of the highest quality mm. there have still been some like you know the Halo Infinite campaign or more importantly to me the Gears 5 mm-hmm. campaign and the story that was started in that new True. trilogy however I do think if you look at the lineup that Microsoft has right now, like leaving aside Activision for a second, before that acquisition, they were buying publishers and developers who excelled mostly, I would say, in story-driven single-player games. They Mm -hmm. bought Bethesda, obviously famous for single-player RPGs. Under that umbrella, they had the likes of Machine Games, famous for single-player first-person shooters. Yeah, like single-player first-person shooters in the Wolfenstein games. You know, you got Evil Within in, in there, Prey, all of that stuff. So I do think that the games that they have in development... Are skewing. Uh, I guess the thing that, towards single player and towards stories. Yes, yeah, it's not. Yeah, it's not like it's not that stories don't exist in video games. It's mm-hmm. just that I think when you think when it, when you think about what the industry likes to focus on, they rarely like to champion story. Like yeah. if you think about the what makes the most money or what mechanics are the most bankable or the, what what sort of general game formulae are the most bankable. I th- I think and maybe it's just a cynical approach based on having done this for a decade that most um, number crunchers favor 
monetizable mechanics and monetizable loops and all that kind of stuff. It doesn't feel like there's a, a sanctity to the storytelling inside video games. It's almost like the thing that just gets bolted on right. um, to sort of facilitate said money grubbing money grubbingness without a doubt i definitely agree with that to an extent you know uh if there's one thing that a lot of executives want us to believe it is that single player is dead you know ea championed (laughs) that for literal years telling us that single player games aren't viable Mm. however my kind of response to that is that every time they've said something along those lines survival horror doesn't make money it's dead people don't like it oh yeah single player games are dead it doesn't make money people don't like it there's always a game that proves them wrong and Mm. stops that messaging dead whether it's star wars jedi fallen order or whether it's like resident evil 7 or something oh totally there's always a game that kind of proves that no matter how much executives might want to kill stories (laughs) fans want them and as a result they will continue to be made. Uh, so that would be my response. I, do, I, I, I agree that, you know, they definitely want to prioritize the monetization, want to prioritize multiplayer, mm-hmm. and we're definitely seeing a shift towards that trend. However, I don't think we'll ever see single-player games or story-driven games ever become kind of extinct or oh, no. totally minimized. No, me neither. And also, that. I'm not necessarily agreeing with that. I just think that sometimes when I think about the dark heart of gaming or the dark soul of gaming, I feel like we're always fighting over it from the fan side or the consumer side versus some of the studio practices that get put into place. It doesn't feel like a lot of the money people are fighting for stories. It feels like they're fighting for complete exploitation. Oh, and that's, dude. you know, like it's like, like they would birth the, um, the repeatable game mechanic 10 times over, a million times over before they would justify why it's there in the first place. 100%. Like those people who were counting the money if they had their way, would have every game be uh, Call of Duty or every game be an Avengers. Fortnite or, yeah, yeah, every game be an Avengers. And thank- thankfully, <laughs> uh, they don't get their way all the time. Eight so. premium currencies. Yeah. Um, speaking of premium things, let's get into the new stuff. Uh, there's a Lollipop Chainsaw remake coming. Yes, there is. Now, fun fact, um, James got into the Galaxy Gun is, um, got his start with Lollipop Chainsaw. Um, I think he wrote quite a lot of it. Um, he's been tweeting quite a lot of it, quite a lot about it across the last year or so, um, as people sort of found out this little tidbit, this little fact about him. Um, and then recently, as it has been confirmed by former producer Yoshima Yasuda um, over on Twitter, says there's a full remake in production. Um, due to licensing issues, they can't get the 15 official songs that were on the original version, so it's going to have all new music. And to quote him, um, we'll be taking a more realistic approach to the graphics. Um, they're, oh, they're aiming for 2023 as a release date, but what do you think of this getting a, a full-on remake? Well, I kind of want to know what you think about that mm. specific quote, you know, taking a more realistic approach to the graphics, because <laughs> obviously Lollipop Chainsaw is known for its... Uh, uh, bombast, let's say. <laughs> it's known for its... Uh, panache. Panache. It's, you know, over-sexualization. Yes. It's kind of like really tongue-in-cheek, big, campy, kind of colorful fun. You know? Well, the thing is, I, I've not played Lollipop Chainsaw, but it is in that similar vein as like a Sunset Overdrive or a really yeah. over-the-top, what used to be early-style Platinum Games kind of thing. It's a third-person hack-and-slash game, um, not too dissimilar to a No More Heroes in terms of the tone. Um, and I, I know this game because we've featured it on a bunch of lists. I know that if you pan the camera behind the lady, then you get an achievement saying, I wasn't looking up there, but now it's marked on your profile forever. And so stuff like that seemed seemed to be at the heart of the um, the humor and stuff that was in this game. Yeah. Um, there was a, or there is a whole interview with James Gunn talking about that stuff um, and how he thought that he was writing the character to be very female empowerment and being in charge of that stuff and how ridiculous a lot of female bodies can be seen. Um, but Starlet, or whatever her name is, that, um, that you play as, um, is always in control of her, always has agency in those spaces. And that's how he thought he was writing. That's how he would defend that character right. or whatever. And um, like I said, I've not played Lollipop Chainsaw, but I guess it has enough of an audience that it's worth putting this much time into. I mean, yeah, yeah totally, man. Like, I mean, again, I wasn't a huge fan of it back in the day. I just found it's uh, <laughs> combat a little... little little repetitive and right. whatnot. Um, however, you know, there's a reason that we still talk about it today. We yeah. still put it on lists. It made an impact in a, in a cult way on popular culture. And like they <laughs> mentioned in that interview, you know, it's it's difficult to access now because of the rights and the licensing mm. issues and whatnot. So I'm going to be interested to see what they do and don't update with this title because it's very much a title of its time. Mm-hmm, and if mm-hmm. they're talking about more realistic graphics, I don't know whether I'm reading too much into it and wondering if they're going to kind of tame some of the stuff down or whether they're just going to be like, yeah, this is just the lollipop chainsaw, you know, with with slightly prettier graphics. I like, assume it's knows? just a render pass. Like I said, because the thing is, that when I think of realistic graphics, if you like we're going to define that as a term, then that's like 
human-looking stuff. It's not animated. It's not. It's not. You know, in terms of, it's not cell shaded. It's. It looks realistic. Yeah. Um, and when I think of Lollipop Chainsaw, for those very small amounts that I've seen it, those are humans doing stuff in that game. So that, that was. That is what I would say is already a realistic uh, art direction overall. Even That's though, true. like you said, it has a lot of bombast, um, really ridiculous color palette, and I'm sure you talk to your boyfriend's severed head. You do. Is that the original God of War it back is. in 2007 <laughs> or whatever it was. And um, but yeah, I, I assume that realistic graphics just means kind of like what uh, the Saints Row 3 remake had, yeah. where it was just exactly the same guts of the game, but it had a surprising amount of fidelity added to the overall render passes of the character models. Yeah, true. I mean, I'm going to be excited to see, like I said, you know, what they do with it, whether they do anything with it. And yeah, <laughs> they just kind of like, you know, take what's already there and make mm. it prettier and, you know, put it on next gen consoles and what have you. Yeah. I'm sure it will find an audience and it is kind of surprising to me in a way that it hasn't happened already because I feel like no. the, like I said you know there's a reason we still talk about it and that's that it is in the cultural gaming well it is like a super cult classic yeah. I mean yeah Yasuda says that it's um, the reason they want to do the remake is just because the game isn't available as much as they would like it to be so yeah. they've got to go back and, and uh, you know touch it up kind of thing um, next news item down is that Sony are hiring a software development engineer to develop new emulators to run classic games across the legacy PlayStation platforms and um, to quote their job announcement um, as a classics engineer, you would work closely with a group of other engineers, producers, and QA teams to fix bugs, add new features, and this is key, develop new emulators. Um, so Kotaku are pulling from, as one of the many people who wrote it up, but Kotaku focused on those and um, that specific set of words, um, assuming that they're actually hiring people to iron out the PlayStation 3 side of things or develop new emulators, maybe something like the PlayStation Vita. There's only so many um, consoles that they can pull from that, um, that aren't already on the PlayStation Premium service. Um, PlayStation 3 stuff feels like the most obvious. Like that's, yeah. I still think that's stupid that you have to stream PlayStation 3 games. Like, why can't we just access them properly? Dude, if they're willing... I've said dude a lot. I'm really, I always say dude when I'm tired. When I, when I'm, it's a, when I'm it's a, a tired, tired. tired. It is, I was thinking it? before when we were doing the intro and we were sort of a bit... We are all over the place. We were a bit slapdash. I was like, <laughs> want to tell the audience that we're not high, nor are we drunk. <laughs> it's just 4pm. We've been doing this all day. It's 4pm and I'm in bed by 6. Yeah. So, <laughs> I've got to get. I've got somewhere to be. It's practically eleven or ten o'clock yeah. for me. Uh, sheets. Yes. What was I saying? What were we talking about? Uh, we were talking about um, the idea of it being stupid that you've got to stream PlayStation Three games. Yes, absolutely. You know, um, I'm like fine with it at the moment if that's the only way we can get those games. However, I do crave the ability to download PlayStation Three games mm. and play them at a higher resolution with their less input lag, with mm-hmm. maybe HDR turned on. You know, and if there is a way to emulate those titles on a PlayStation 4 or a PlayStation 5, I want that. I want to see what MGS4 looks like, you know, with these extra kind of built-in touch-ups that you would get on the Game Pass or whatever. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and plus, as you're a man who I, and I quote, can't wait to play Infamous again. It's so true. And so I wonder if, are you going to, is that on PlayStation streaming right now? It is right now, yes. Do you think, are you going to do that on streaming or are you going to wait and see if this bears fruit I will. uh, Because your other contender is Oblivion. (laughs) Well, this is the thing, right? I will play it right now because Mm. I, I mean, how many times have we done a news video on Sony Patenting a kind of oh my God. system or an five idea. or six years. I mean, yeah. yeah, we were talking about backwards compatibility on the PlayStation Five like two years before the and PlayStation we were right. Five came out. We were, Lord damn it! But the issue is, it took like four years from that patent being you know <laughs> signed to getting any kind of backwards compatibility mm. on that system. So I'm not going to hold my breath for, for this. Right. If it does happen, I'll be buzzing about it. But it's not going to you know make me hold off playing games on the off chance that would happen. Like, it's, it's the same with the potential Bloodborne remaster, man. Like, oh God, I played yeah. that earlier this year, even though there have been so many rumors about that thing, because if I keep holding my breath, I will eventually pass out from waiting for well, the thing these is, games. Well, the thing is, taking from someone who waited to play Sonic CD until they got the Sonic Origins collection, that was not worth it at all. But mm-hmm. that's mainly because Sonic CD is a horrendous video game. But at the same time, um, I think that in regards to PlayStation 3 or any sort of legacy service, it just needs to tick that box. And I think, I'm curious how many people, if they have the player data, if they're tracking how many people are playing what from the home menus and everything, um, how many people start a PlayStation 3 game, realize, I mean, obviously you click stream, but they go, oh, I'll see what it's like. How many people are bailing on that stuff almost immediately because it right. is a hell of a resolution drop if you're going from anything that's been rendered in a decent resolution with a decent frame rate um, all the way back down to sometimes 1080p sometimes struggling to hit 30 fps whatever 
Um, for me, it was quite stark. I thought it was good or worthwhile in terms of being able to dip into the likes of Dark Void or whatever. Um, but I think that there's so much more that can be done if you're going to attempt to say that this is a respectful catalog of back uh, classics. Totally. I do think we disagree uh, a Classic. little bit in terms of how we value that streaming service because you are talking about there the dip life and you know jumping. I into love dipping into get stuff. a taste of it. I will happily play through every God of War on streaming uh, <laughs> from front to back and just think it's the best time ever. So I am perhaps more easily pleased when it comes to that I don't service. think it's easily pleased. I just, I don't know. I think it's, I'm too scrutinous when it comes okay. to this stuff. Because for me, I'm just like, well, I know how it played when I went through them the first time. It was, back then it was 60 FPS on a PS2 for the first God of War, the first couple of God of Wars. Um, and so I just, I just, I don't know, for me, it's like a, it's a, my time worth thing. It's a how much money I'm giving them thing. Like it's a hundred pound a year. So I'm just like, why can't I just, if you're going to attempt this, do it properly. Like it just felt like it was a last, um, last resort thing. Like okay. it was just sort of like, oh, well, we should have PlayStation 3 games on there, but we haven't put the time in to develop the emulators just yet, so just stream them, um, which is obviously what the PlayStation Now always was. Um, but it seems like they've recognized that and they're work- working towards fixing it. They've definitely hired some people for it. Um, what if they do a Vita collection or a Vita PlayStation collection. Go collection? Oh man, like that would that would own. I, <laughs> I, I, I almost wish there was a Vita collection on there already because there are yeah. so many games, uh, you know, like the Uncharted spin-offs, the Killzone spin-offs. The best uh, Killzone is on there. Well, totally, man. That's what people say. The, that these are more than worthy entries in these classic franchises yep. and because I never owned a Vita I never managed to play them so yeah if that is one of the emulators that would be sick most of the um, Vita's control scheme will go straight across as well like, like some games use the back touchpad but it's very few and far between Right, um, and you can just kind of make that the front touchpad or whatever um, next news item down is um, that Michael Gamble for Bioware has tweeted out saying that Bioware themselves have just hired Mary DeMol who's a writer from Deus Ex and Guardians of the Galaxy um, to serve as the new senior narrative director on the new Mass Effect so I thought we should Talk about Mass Effect in general. Um, It's interesting because the Guardians of the Galaxy game is one of the best Mass Effect games ever made. Yeah. Like that game has a really good um, sense of go do a mission, come back to the hub world, um, to your base or home base or whatever, check in with the characters, have randomly super emotional exchanges with them. The Guardians game is, like like I said, one of the best Mass Effect games. Um, And it's surprisingly very well written, very well character driven. Um, Feels like a perfect fit, to be honest, getting one of the head writers and just going, okay, you already know how to do this yeah do this officially absolutely you know i can only echo what you said there the mm. guardians of the galaxy game uh for as much as i couldn't get on board with its combat was just superb in terms of its characterization yeah. in the way that it built its world separate from the movies and the comics to kind of create its own thing that was obviously inspired by them in some ways and just like hanging around with those characters on that spaceship like you said it gave me mass effect vibes to begin with mm. so i'm excited to see how those talents transfer over to this because I don't know about you, but Bioware generally, <laughs> I am uh, I don't have much much trust in, but I no. am cautiously optimistic because I just don't think they can make any kind of mistake again with these franchises. You're going to say a good video game. Well, maybe yeah. that's it as well. I do think with Dragon Age Four and with the next Mass Effect, mm. it's it's make or break for that studio. You know, Anthem was such a pivotal moment in mm. that studio's history alongside Mass Effect Andromeda that I do think if these games fail, man. Uh, and it brings me no joy to say that but no I know the writing seems to be on the wall if they don't live up to expectations well it seems like their two sort of lifelines are the next Dragon Age um, I feel what it's called now but the next Dragon Age and the next Mass Effect and Mass Effect I think they said is coming after the next Dragon Age Um, because even Dragon Age itself um, I wish I could think of that thing's name it's Wolf something um, that game, um, they got out there and said that that was the, what they were focusing on. They sort of announced it publicly without making sure um, with EA. That was when everything was going sideways when Anthem was coming out. Um, and it just, I think it's called the Dawn Wolf. I'm getting it up now. Oh, it's I'm so Dread close. Wolf. Dread, Dread Wolf. wolf. Um, uh, the Wolf Man. And um, it's not Rich Hudson. And that whole thing <laughs> um, seems to be that they need, you know, like you said, they need something. It's make or break. They need to sort of get somewhere close to how they were regarded in the early 2010s, which my gut says is impossible. Um, just because of the amount of staff that have left. I mean, you've still got uh, Michael Gamble here. Um, I forget, I'm forgetting all the names at Hoffle. <laughs> um, but you've got, like, you know, some team members who worked on Mass Effect Andromeda that did come across on the original trilogy. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. 
When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. This podcast is brought to you by Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it just makes hiring all in one place so easy because you just get unparalleled access to job seekers. Plus, listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash WCG. Just go to Indeed.com slash WCG right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash WCG. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Um, But they don't have the powerhouse people there. They don't have Casey Hudson. They don't have Drew Carpishin on this specific project. And I wonder. This is true, right? I I (laughs) do agree that they have lost some key talent. However, I think it's easy to overlook that sometimes those key talents mm. also worked on BioWare stinkers, also worked on Anthem, and that didn't save them. Maybe some fresh blood in that studio is what it needs. Maybe mm. some quality talent from other studios coming over who have proved themselves and are able to adapt those skills for these games mm-hmm. will make them better than what the old lumbering BioWare would have produced anyway. I don't know. That's no, my that's, optimistic that's a really take, good. Man. That's a good way to think about it, and I think that it does need life injecting into it. It's kind of like the new um, cinematic universe, the cinematic portion of Star Wars. Like you're giving that to a whole bunch of new creatives and seeing what they can come up with. And maybe that'll be the same with Mass Effect. Where are you at on Mass Effect? Anything? Because I, <laughs> I don't know where I, I love Mass Effect so much, yeah. and then I just it's just kind of there now. I'm the same. You know, Mass Effect for the longest time was my favorite franchise. Mm-hmm. You know, we 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 love it so much, both you and I. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just I need to see something. Yeah, I, I like that. I know it's coming. I like that we had that teaser trailer. But unless I see what it is, tangibly <laughs> see what it is, how it's going to play, mm-hmm. what the story is, I just I can't feel almost anything about it until then. I can't get excited, and I can't get mm. you know really negative about it. I just sort of nothing it at this moment in I, time until yeah. we know. All. I wonder if I'm too plugged into this stuff where, like, when I see something like this being announced, if I was younger, I'd be like, oh, my God, they're doing more Mass Effect. And I wouldn't even know about all the behind-the-scenes rumblings. I wouldn't even know the people that left the project. And yeah. I wouldn't know the state of Bioware. I'd just be excited for more Mass Effect overall. And I would look at the who is assumedly is Liara in the teaser and be like, oh, my God, the story's going to continue. How, how cool. Um, whereas now I just feel too burned by long-form IP resurrecting storytelling um, from Game of Thrones to Star Wars to whatever. And I, I just don't trust them to nail it. It's just like a lot of those creatives have gone... Um, and I just, I think it's going to struggle. But at the same time, you know, it's Bioware. They did used to have the Bioware magic. Maybe there's a way for them to bring that stuff back. Um, and like I said, I still would hold up the Guardians of the Galaxy game as the one of some of the most Mass Effect energy I've got. That side of Horizon Forbidden West. You know, ooh, I mean, I would fully agree. Games that did Mass Effect better than Mass Effect. There's a list for you, my friend. There's a list for us, my friend. Get that written. Yeah, I would agree. <laughs> and like I said, I just also don't want to undermine the Deus Ex credit in there. No, not at all. The modern Deus Ex games, I also really loved. Like, mm. they weren't perfect, but I thought Mankind Divided especially uh, started something really interesting that mm-hmm, sadly mm-hmm. <laughs> Square Enix sort of killed, and uh, <laughs> we'll never get to see how that story ended. But the game well, itself was really strong in the storytelling in those games, whilst um, somewhat lacking in thematic weight, were still interesting and engaging and gave us well-written characters. Yes. I mean, the thing is, like, Deus Ex, that should be one of those pillar games, and it almost is. But like you said, Mankind Divided was such a weird Square Enix adult augment your pre-order thing <laughs> that it just landed so weirdly. And they've not made the original one that um, accessible. As I say that, I realize I can get it on my Steam Deck. So all, all you've you. got to do is drop half a thousand pounds and then... <laughs> 
<laughs> you can get on it uh, that way. So um, I need to do it that way. But yeah, I think that, like you said, it's it's worth mentioning that this person has gone between Deus Ex and then Guardians of the Galaxy, and the writing was stellar across the board. Yeah. Um, so assumedly that'll be the case for um, Aspect as well. Um, next thing down, I've got um, it's EA hiring a design director for the next Battlefield. Um, this is an advert over on their own website. Um, they're advertising saying that the position uh, will let the person tell rich, exciting stories with memorable characters and powerful experiences all in the Battlefield universe. Um, now, this comes after um, known insider Tom Tenders Henderson said that Battlefield 2042's uh, production is down to a quote-unquote skeleton crew um, to uh, fulfill the various legal requirements for that game's um, pre-order bonuses and whatever else um, and whatever else has been advertised before they move on to the next Battlefield anyway. So it seems like EA are gearing up for that. Um, there was also a quote, and I, again, I'm forgetting the name, from the person <laughs> who said it, but it was one of the new um, directors over at DICE saying that they have a three-year window to become the premier first-person shooter studio and... Um, you know, they want to get on it in terms of... But they also said they're committed to Battlefield 2042, which yeah. I just don't believe anymore. I don't know what to think, Scott, because we've had so much mixed messaging mm. about the Battlefield franchise as a whole. You know, we had the big um, letter that went out from EA after, at the start of this year, talking mm-hmm. about how they were getting Respawn, uh, Vince Zampella from Respawn to help on the Battlefield franchise, mm-hmm. how they were committed to telling stories in the Battlefield 2042 universe, how they were going to support the game, yada, yada, yada. It seemed like we were getting so much Battlefield, but at this moment in time, I just don't know what that's going to entail. Is it going to entail a new game that has mm. a, you know, a brand new campaign with apparently engaging stories and set pieces? Is it going to be Battlefield 2042 revitalized and turned around? Is it going to be a sequel to that universe? Is it going to be a hero seems, shooter? Is it going to be a hero shooter? It seems like they like that universe. It's just like, what the hell do they do within it? And I don't think, for as much as I love Battlefield, mm. that a Battlefield campaign is the answer because, you know, no. there have been some fun ones. I really like the one from uh, Battlefield 4, Bad Companies campaign was all right. Yeah. But it's never been, like, the thing. It's well, the thing been... is, like, are they not diametrically opposed goals? Like, they want to be, you know, they're like, oh, in three years, we're committed to Battlefield 2042. We want to be the premier first-person shooter studio. But the thing that they specialize in is almost, I would say, fundamentally not what the mainstream audience goes for en masse. Ooh. As in, it's they're not Call of Duty. They're not snappy, responsive, PvP, Ooh. you know, constantly engaging first-person shooting. Killing me here, <laughs> Killing me. They are wider, you know, tactical, take your time, like, take the checkpoint one at a time, overcome all five points on a map to win, ex- you know, um, run out your enemy's tickets until you eventually beat them. That's Battlefield's DNA. And I, I don't know. I mean, like... The only thing that they've gotten from chasing the competition is failure. Like Battlefield 2042 has all well, you know, its take on a hero shooter, and everyone hated it. So I'm just like, maybe you're striving for the wrong thing here. I, I mean, I'm never going to disagree in terms of Battlefield should not be copying hero shooters. Battlefield mm. should not be copying Overwatch. It should barely even be copying Call of Duty or Call <laughs> of Duty Warzone or anything like that. Mm-hmm. However, I do disagree in terms of. I do think it could be a premier first-person shooter franchise because Mm -hmm. it once was. You look at the sales for Battlefield 3, Battlefield 4, Battlefield 1, Mm -hmm. and they are incredibly high. You know, they they are are real kind of like Call of Duty contenders, even if it might not reach the same heights as Call of Duty. Mm -hmm. Like, it still sells. Those games still sold so much, had a lot of fan love behind them. And I would say, personally, that I think the combat itself is is snappy, is engaging. No, it is. It has that kind of level of finesse that allows it to compete with the twitchiest uh, shooters in the game. The thing is, yeah, I think it's just when I think of it in terms of an overall match flow, like I think of the stuff that people respond to, I think of the Twitch streamers, I think of the stuff that lets Call of Duty be Call of Duty when it's like firing on all cylinders. And maybe it's just because Battlefield's been quite weak for so long. I mean, Battlefield 1 was 2016, yeah. and I feel like as solid as Battlefield 5 was and as playable as 2042 can be sometimes, it just feels like they've had a bit of an identity crisis. Oh, totally. um, I found the name of the person as well. It's EA Dice's general manager. She's called Rebecca Kutaz uh, or Kautaz. And um, yeah, it was her talking about, you know, we try, we want to get back on top within three years. Um, but that, like I said, even in itself, if you think about where 2042 is, um, do you, where do you come down on, you know, when do you cut that game off? Like, is it just healthier to sever that thing and move on to something else? Or do they spend the next three years making 2042 into the battlefield that can have all sorts of other things plugged into it? I do not get paid enough to make those decisions. <laughs> and if I was smart enough to know the answer to that, Scott Telford, I would be working <laughs> a dice, telling them what to do. Roll the dice. Uh, I would be rolling the dice. I honestly, I, I don't know. Mm. I think there is a way that you can turn Battlefield 2042 around. However, it's going to need a relaunch. You mm. can't just 
it would need to be almost called something else. Give it a subtitle. Give it something that yeah. differentiates it from the reputation that the core game has right now. Mm-hmm. I like. I do think the bones of it are strong enough to support like a really good battlefield game, and they definitely could turn it around in three years' time. I would like them to do that mm-hmm. rather than completely cut ties and just try something else. Uh, because, like I said, there's a lot to like about well, Battlefield think, 2042. Just yeah, they need the time to get there. It's it's the question is. Does the community give them that goodwill? Do they even deserve mm. that goodwill? I don't know if they do. That's the kind of, well, that's kind of the thing. There's a lot of here's everything wrong with Battlefield 2042 style videos, and it's. I mean, I'm not a diehard Battlefield fan, but I know there is a lot um, up with it, and they only got a scoreboard like last month. Like mm-hmm. it was at the first sort of six months of launch or whatever were really really messy. Um, and my go-to thing is make it free to play. Just get it in front of people, and they kind of did that with the trial version that was on uh, Game Pass or EA Play. And I think that for me that would be the. Th- I would try it again. If you told me it's fixed or you told me it's cool and it's worth playing but it's and it's free, I can just like hop on a version of it that maybe isn't 100 gig to download, then I yeah. would totally do that. But um, it needs to have all the bells and whistles and, and be fixed. Like, I still think that the version they advertised looked promising. Yeah. Like that sort of all-out vehicular carnage, like big open world, look at what these systems can do stuff. Um, but at the same time, it was only like last month or whatever when they said that they were cutting the player size down um, in some of the biggest modes because they just can't get it to work, which is kind of insane, it to is, be honest. It is a little bit, my friend. It is a little <laughs> bit. And it's going to be interesting to see what this game looks like by the year's end because I do think there is a cutoff point. If this game isn't compelling come December, if mm. there isn't content there that people are very excited about, I think that's when you're in the danger zone. Mm-hmm. That's when you should start thinking about cutting ties. Now, you know, six months away out of launch, you still have a little wee leeway as yeah. far as I'm concerned. You're still in that time where it could be a Battlefront 2, but it might also be an Anthem 2.0. We just don't <laughs> we don't know yet. Yeah, I'm curious how they go in terms of um, time period and stuff as well. Like, I like the future stuff. I don't know where you come down in terms of like boots on the ground, old school military stuff versus the future stuff. Well, honestly, I think 2042 splits the difference well. Mm-hmm. Like, you get the future tech, but it's still very much a grounded game in terms of the infantry combat. Yeah. It feels near future enough to not be sci-fi but still I don't know I think it does split the difference well yeah 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 and plus, well, that's the thing 2042 like in theory is this big platform with everything else being plugged into it and then I guess if you go back to um, you know they're hiring and they got this new person sort of doing uh, memorable stories and memorable characters and everything then that kind of feels like the vignette approach they started in Battlefield 1 which I would say is one of the most confident things that they've done in the last 10 years of Battlefield like pick a character can be fictional whatever and do a cool sort of 45 minute couple hour story um, that, that takes the single player box and I just think that's for me that's the way you do it yeah you plug those little stories in and that sort of flesh out the world but the world has to make sense in itself anyway yeah so totally. I think it's it's a hard thing to uh, to balance um the last thing is Final Fantasy 16 <laughs> getting kaiju battles um now this comes from director Naoki Yoshida um saying that there are epic summon versus summon battles and not only in cutscenes players will be able to actually get into those battles and control an Akon which is this game's version of uh, summons they always get a different name per every single Final Fantasy um get into those battles control an Akon or an Econ um of their own and feel the excitement from the inside get that on a plaque <laughs> uh, not just from an outside type of view now this made me think of um because obviously Japanese like lots of Eastern anime manga whatever kaiju battles in general are very much an Eastern thing um, but I feel like they've kind of started making their way across into various video games even Pokemon had kaiju battles right um with their Dynamax stuff in Pokemon Sword and Shield where you could have a gigantic Pikachu fighting a gigantic Snorlax or whatever. And um, are you there for it? I don't know if I'm there for it. I, you know, right? I think I'm there well, for it. Like, I'm, cards on the table, as mm. as l- listeners may know, that I'm not a huge, I'm not hugely versed An in animation. the world of Final Fantasy, nor mm. am I hugely versed in the world of anime. Yes. That said, from what the developers did with the combat in Final Fantasy VII Remake and Fifteen, you know, kind of allowing you to play and have agency with what used to be kind of these spectacular turn-based uh, fights with the animations and that. Mm-hmm. If they manage to give that same care and attention to these massive kaiju battles <laughs> and put you in full control of them, hell yeah, yeah. I'm in for that. I, I have a lot of faith in uh, Yoshi P, uh, as he's nicknamed, and he refers to Final Fantasy 
to 16 in terms of what they're building as a roller coaster ride. And it seems like the trailers they've put out so far are kind of like Final Fantasy VII Remake's overall pace. Like, that game just goes in terms of the combat. Um, it couldn't be further away from a turn-based thing in terms of the pacing. And so I guess if you take that, like, level of production and just go, here's Ifrit or Shiva or Bahamut or whatever, like the fire god, the ice goddess, um, and the dragon god or whatever, and let them all fight each other, then that's kind of cool. I just yeah. kind of hope that it doesn't become this slow, lumbering thing that gets away from how fast and snappy everything else is. That's true. I would. I don't want to control anything massive that is lumbering around. <laughs> like it's. I used to love the Godzilla games, man. But I was thinking of War of the Monsters as well. Oh, I used to love War of the Monsters as well. It's good at the time. But yeah, any of those like big tanks, I never find fun to play as. Even when you get like Metal, even when you get like Metal Gear Rayman in there. Oh, no, you're four. I mean, oh, I love that fight. It's spectacular, but yeah. I wanted. To, I, I I need to be faster. Mm, see, I think there's maybe I can't think of that many games. Titanfall Two, one of the only games yeah. that gives you a mech and maintains the pace, and it feels like a power up. It doesn't feel like you're um, being addled by like a different form. It's like this is like an ex- an extension of your movement. Yes, something like that. Unlike Fallout Four, when you get the power armor <laughs> and you just think, why would I ever play this game like this? Yeah. I will abandon that power armor in a pit. Somewhere. One of the worst things about um, this idea is that it, if done worse, it's like a it's like a moving turret sequence, and you're yeah. just sort of stuck. It's like, well, now I've got an infinite minigun, but that's just boring. There's a reason everyone hates turret sequences. So I guess it depends um, how it's done. Where are you at on Final Fantasy 16 overall? Now, you seem to be getting a bit more into Final Fantasy at the minute. Hey, He's downloaded some of them. He's not played them yet, but he's getting them. I've downloaded them. They're in front of him. I'm very hyped for it. I really am. (laughs) Uh, The first trailer didn't blow me away, but the the more I see from it, the most recent trailers Mm. uh, have gotten me on board. You know, after the Final Fantasy VII remake, I am very much in to this franchise in a way that I never was before. And yeah, I will be there. My first ever day one purchase, I think, of the Final Fantasy entire, you know, back catalog will be uh, Final Fantasy 16. The thing is, I think we're eating very well at the minute because, and the thing is, we've got Final Fantasy this year. Are you getting Crisis Core later this year? Uh, probably not, but you, okay. only if it's good. The thing that's really interesting about that is, like, if you're a Final Fantasy fan and you grew up on, on let's just say you started obviously 7. Seven's the one that they're fleshing out the most and you have Crisis Core coming out later this year, which is a remake of the game that came after the original Final Fantasy 7, but is fundamentally tied into that game's biggest plot, plot twist, whole thing, whatever. Now, they're front-loading the the rollout of the remake of Final Fantasy VII in full by giving you a game about that plot twist beforehand. So I'm, I'm just like, if you're a Final Fantasy fan trying to pass this stuff out, and especially like you, if you're coming into this stuff, <laughs> yeah. then it's like, okay, you should actually like wait, you know, play Crisis Core while you're waiting for Final Fantasy XVI, bank that, and then also look forward to the next part of Final Fantasy VII and play Final Fantasy XVI in between. And then there's also Final Fantasy XIV is sort of underneath <laughs> the whole thing. I just, I don't know. I don't know how your brain passes out the amount of Final Fantasy coming at you at it, the minute. It, it, uh, it's it, a lot of it. It, it can't because it's it's <laughs> without the context. And fortunately, I know someone as knowledgeable and as passionate as you. <laughs> but uh, without like the context, like Crisis Core, like that would mean nothing to me. Mm. I would look at that and I would see the reused levels from Final Fantasy VII and think this is a bit slapdash. And obviously, so... that's a dumb take because no, people no. who are looking forward to it are like, this is incredible. No, but the thing is, that's that's a really, really valid point and not uh, necessarily tied to the news that we're talking about, but in regards to the way that they're rolling this stuff out, Crisis Core now is this fundamental building block towards the next part of the main Final Fantasy VII trilogy um, called Rebirth that's coming in 2023. But the various like interviews that are doing the rounds are saying that this, the Crisis Core needs to be played for what they're doing in Rebirth. Right. Um, and like, like I, mean, I, I can almost vouch for that anyway, knowing the way the story is going to go. See? And so that's, but the, but the fact that it hasn't landed that way. I hadn't seen that at all. I, right. I knew I would have to play it from you, but I hadn't seen those. Maybe I wasn't looking, but I hadn't seen those quotes. Well, and now, now that I know that, now I'm thinking, I'm going to have to play that this well, year. Well, I, I think what they because ha- at the end of the Final Fantasy VII Remake Part 1, um, when you see the black-haired person, yes. uh, I don't think they give him a name in that remake because they can't yet. I know well, we know who he is, we, yeah, we obviously. Um, I don't know if anyone mentions him yet, and he's mentioned again in Integrate. Um, the Crisis Core is about him, but like you're not meant to know what that dude does or right. who he is or anything until way later in the overall story. So it's a very confusing thing. I don't <laughs> even know if anyone understands anything I've just said. I don't understand anything about Final Fantasy, <laughs> man. I don't know what Final Fantasy like 7X2 is or Final Fantasy 13X, 
one and two Lightning and three. returns. Lightning Josh. returns. I don't know what those games are. <laughs> they, 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 they scare me, quite they, frankly. Yeah, that's the thing. They always like take, or they've only done a couple of times in the past Final Fantasy X, too, and then there's the trilogy of Final Fantasy 13 games. And this is the time they've gone back to Final Fantasy 7. I, I guess, again, because you had all the anniversary stuff, like Dirge of Cerberus and the original Crisis Core, and After Crisis or whatever it was called. Mm. Whatever. There's all that stuff. Um, circling around Final Fantasy marketing and I think somewhere in there is someone like you who's going like what the hell even do I need to focus on um, it's kind of 16 it's kind of the next main Final Fantasy 7 and then it's people like me going but don't miss Crisis Core otherwise you won't understand all the time stuff my question then uh, jumping off that is yes. when Final Fantasy 16 comes out it's obviously going to be an event it's yes. the next proper numbered Final Fantasy in a long time since 2016 is there a potential for oversaturation with the 7 remake mm. with Crisis Core coming out at the end of this year with Stranger of Paradise earlier this year <laughs> and then with 16 out and 7 remake part 2 rebirth in the same year don't as well. Don't like Chocobo GP, mate. In Chocobo GP. Is that, is that too much? I don't know. Uh, well, is, that's the I thing. It, it depends know. how they pass it out. I think it's quite hard keeping up with everything that's going on in Final Fantasy 7 right now, and I mean the new timeline, um, because you've got so many... Crazy fan theories. They've hacked to pieces the original story and then inserted so many bits and pieces into it. And uh, we also have the other remake of Final Fantasy VII coming, Ever Crisis, which is them remaking it again. What? Yeah, they, yeah. There's like so they're remaking Final Fantasy VII again, but it's a mobile only version of it. But it's canon. It's not like and it's and it's a whole it's a whole gacha thing where you pay money to insert characters into scenarios that they didn't have before. But they've said that there's going to be elements from Crisis Core in that one. So right. like Ever Crisis is like a unified timeline of the overall new version of the Final Fantasy VII story, which in itself is a sequel to the original. So it's like, blah. I'm getting a nosebleed. Can it's I ask a bit you of a question, thing. please? You can try. On the PlayStation Plus uh, service, right? Yeah. There are two games. There is Final Fantasy VII, mm -hmm. uh, not the remake, just Final Fantasy VII, yeah, that's the what it's called. And then there is Final Fantasy, Final Fantasy VII Remastered. What is the difference? Because I would oh. assume that Final Fantasy Seven regular is uh -huh. already remastered by virtue of being on this service because oh, the PlayStation right. One version isn't there as far as I know, unless it is. I'm confused. <laughs> I've got the remastered version right now, but I don't really know what that is. I've just got it downloaded. All they did for the remasters was um, they added lots of like like um, game options, so you can speed stuff up. You can speed up the, the whole game by like four times. Right. Um, you can. I think there's an infinite lives mode. There's a, a nine 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 uh, damage mode. They're all one button away. So if you're getting stuck on a boss, it's just it's just ways to mitigate old school game difficulty okay. um, and they're not in the original so if you want to yeah if you, if you just want to grind out a bunch of levels put the game on like hyper speed and just ping pong around an area for a while <laughs> um, and to get those things up whereas back in 1997 you just had to grind that stuff out and do it you know, the way that it was designed um, that's pretty much it like right. I mean it depends how much they've auto upscaled the original in terms of HD and frame rate but remastered definitely has HD 60 frames a second and all of the button toggle stuff. Very so if sick. you just want to do infinite damage and whatever, you can do that. Um, it's an absolute nightmare, though, in regards to keeping track of all this stuff and from any casual fan's perspective and for someone like me trying to keep up with the new world of Final Fantasy 16 um, and whatever's going on in 7, even though they are separate worlds, <laughs> but I want to try and keep up with all the different permutations of the characters and everything else. Um, all of this is to say, and it's not even related to what I'm about to say anyway, that this is the What Culture Gaming Podcast. And I've been your host, Scott Tailford, joined by Josh Brown. Always a pleasure, Scott. Selford. Always a pleasure to be heard by all of you and we'll catch you next time. Bye-bye. up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week kiki palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. now that's music to my mouth hello fresh let's get this dinner party started discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.